section one of commentary on the epistles of paul the apostle to the corinthians volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. commentary on the epistles of paul the apostle to the corinthians volume one by john calvin translated by reverend john pringle translator's preface part two the church of geneva which had suffered from the defection of james of burgundy was strengthened by the accession of an italian nobleman galliatius caracciolus who having been led to espouse the protestant faith took up his residence at geneva in the year fifteen fifty one with a view to enjoy the society of calvin and have opportunity of attending upon his ministry the particulars of his history and more especially of his conversion from popery are interestingly narrated in a work entitled the italian convert news from italy of a second moses the life of galliatius caracciolus the noble marquess of vico etc london 1635 this work was written originally in italian by nicola balbani minister of the italian church in geneva it was translated into latin by beza into french by minatoli and by sieur de Lestan, and into english by william crashaw the writer of the work referred to presents in the dedicatory epistle the following brief summary of the leading facts of this interesting case i present you with as strange a story as out of the holy stories was ever heard will your honors have the whole in brief afore it be laid down at large thus it is galliatius caracciolus son and heir apparent to calantonius marquis of vicum in naples bred born and brought up in popery a courtier to the emperor charles v nephew to the pope paul the fourth being married to the duke of Nucerne's daughter and having by her six goodly children at a sermon of peter martyrs was first touched after by reading scripture and other good means was fully converted labored with his lady but could not persuade her therefore that he might enjoy christ and serve him with a good conscience he left the lands livings and honours of a marquisdom the comforts of his lady and children the pleasures of italy his credit with the emperor his kindred with the pope and forsaking all for the love of jesus christ came to geneva and there lived a poor and mean yet an honourable and a holy life for forty years and though his father his lady his kinsmen yea the emperor and pope did all they could to reclaim him yet 
continued he constant to the end and lived and died the blessed servant of god leaving behind him a rare example to all ages caracciolus was born at naples in january fifteen seventeen his father's name was calantonius who was descended from the ancient and noble family of the caracciolis in the district of capua and was elevated by charles v to the rank of vico his mother was descended from the noble family of the caraffi and was sister to pope paul the fourth his wife victoria was daughter to the duke of nuceria one of the principal noblemen of italy she brought him a large fortune he had by her six children four sons and two daughters his mind was first influenced in favor of the protestant religion by repeated conversations held by him with a nobleman nearly related to him who had along with various persons of distinction in italy been induced to renounce popery chiefly through the instrumentality of a spanish nobleman who at that time resided at naples johann waldesius the more immediate instrument however of his conversion was the celebrated peter martyr vermilius caracciolus having from curiosity gone to hear him was savingly impressed by what he heard and it is to be noticed as an interesting coincidence that the means of his conversion was a discourse on a passage in the first epistle to the corinthians at that time peter martyr was in hand with paul's first epistle to the corinthians and as he was showing the weakness and deceitfulness of the judgment of man's reason in spiritual things as likewise the power and efficacy of the word of god in those men in whom the lord worketh by his spirit amongst other things he used this simile or comparison if a man walking in a large place see afar off men and women dancing together and hear no sound of instrument he will judge them mad or at least foolish but if he come nearer them and perceive their order and hear their music and mark their measures and their courses he will then be of another mind and not only take delight in seeing them but feel a desire in himself to bear them company and dance with them even the same said martyr betides many men who when they behold in others a sudden and great change of their looks apparel behavior and whole course of life at the first sight they impute it to melancholy or some other foolish humor but if they look more narrowly into the matter and begin to hear and perceive the harmony and sweet consent of god's spirit and his word in them by the joint power of which two this change was made and wrought which afore they counted folly then they changed their opinion of them and first of all began to like them and 
that change in them and afterwards feel in themselves a motion and desire to imitate them and to be of the number of such men who forsaking the world and his vanities do think that they ought to reform their lives by the rule of the gospel that so they may come to true and sound holiness this comparison by the grace of god's spirit wrought so wonderfully with galliatius as himself hath often told his friends that from that hour he resolved with himself more carefully to restrain his affections from following the world and his pleasures as before they did and to set his mind about seeking out the truths of religion and the way to true happiness and thus far in this short time had the lord wrought with him by that sermon as first to consider with himself seriously whether he were right or no secondly to take up an exercise continual of reading scripture thirdly to change his former company and make choice of better and this was done in the year fifteen forty one and in the four and twentieth year of his age caracciolus having thus had his eyes opened to the errors of popery and being fully satisfied that it was his duty to embrace the protestant faith found himself placed in peculiarly trying circumstances even those of his countrymen who were personally inclined towards the protestant cause could not be persuaded to hold meetings in private for their mutual edification but were prepared not merely to conceal their real sentiments but even to practice occasional conformity to the rites of popery in these circumstances he was called to consider whether he would be prepared to spend the remainder of his life in daily violation of the dictates of conscience or forsake all for christ the sacrifice of his secular dignities and possessions did not cost him a sigh but as often as he reflected on the distress which his departure would inflict on his aged father who with parental pride regarded him as the heir of his titles and the stay of his family or his wife whom he loved and by whom he was loved tenderly and on the dear pledges of their union he was thrown into a state of unutterable anguish and started back with horror from the resolution to which conscience had brought him at length by an heroic effort of zeal which few can imitate and many will condemn he came to the determination of bursting the tenderest ties which perhaps ever bound man to country and kindred the reader will observe that the author of the work already referred to the life of galliatius caracciolus etc entitles it the italian convert news from italy of a second moses and in accordance with this title the writer in the dedicatory epistle prefaced to the work institutes a comparison between moses 
and the subject of his narrative in a variety of interesting particulars i may say much rather than jacob few and evil have my days been yet in these few days of mine something have i seen more have i read more have i heard yet never saw i heard i or read i any example all things laid together more nearly seconding the example of moses than this of the most renowned marquis galliatius moses was the adopted son of a king's daughter galliatius the natural son and heir apparent to a marquis moses a courtier in the court of pharaoh galliatius in the court of the emperor charles v moses by adoption akin to a queen galliatius by marriage to a duke by blood son to a marquis nephew to a pope moses in possibility of a kingdom he in possession of a marquisdom moses in his youth brought up in the heathenism of egypt galliatius noozled in the superstition of popery moses at last saw the truth and embraced it so did galliatius moses openly fell from the heathenism of egypt so did galliatius from the superstition of popery but all this is nothing to that which they both suffered for their conscience what moses suffered st paul tells us moses when he was come to years refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter and chose rather to suffer adversity with the people of god than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season esteeming the rebuke of christ greater riches than the treasures of egypt nay moses had rather be a base brickmaker amongst the oppressed israelites being true christians than to be the son of a king's daughter in the court of pharaoh amongst idolaters in like case noble galliatius when he was come to years and knowledge of christ refused to be called son and heir to a marquis cup-bearer to an emperor nephew to a pope and chose rather to suffer affliction persecution banishment loss of lands livings wife children honors and preferments than to enjoy the sinful pleasures of italy for a season esteeming the rebuke of christ greater riches than the honors of a marquisdom without christ and therefore seeing he must either want christ or want them he despoiled himself of all these to gain christ so excellent was the fact of moses and so heroical that the holy ghost vouchsafes it remembrance both in the old and new testament that so the church in all ages might know it and admire it and doth chronicle it in the epistle to the hebrews almost two thousand years after it was done if god himself did so to moses 
shall not god's church be careful to commend to posterity this second moses whose love to christ jesus was so zealous and so inflamed by the heavenly fire of god's spirit that no earthly temptations could either quench or abate it but to win christ and to enjoy him in the liberty of his word and sacraments he delicately contemned the honors and pleasures of the marquisdom of vicum vicum one of the paradises of naples naples the paradise of italy italy of europe europe of the earth yet all these paradises were nothing to him in comparison of attaining the celestial paradise there to live with jesus christ and for my part i freely and truly profess i have been oft ravished with admiration of this noble example to see an italian so excellent a christian one so near the pope so near to jesus christ and such blessed fruit to blossom in the pope's own garden and to see a nobleman of italy forsake that for christ for which i fear many amongst us would forsake christ himself and surely i confess truth the serious consideration of this so late so true so strange an example hath been a spur to my slowness and whetted my dull spirits and made me to esteem more highly of religion than i did before i know it is an accusation of myself and a disclosing of my own shame to confess thus much but it is a glory to god an honor to religion a credit to the truth and a praise to this noble marquis and therefore i will not hide it and why should i shame to confess it when that famous and renowned man of god holy calvin freely confesseth as in the sequel of this story you shall hear that this nobleman's example did greatly confirm him in his religion and did revive and strengthen his faith and cheer up all the holy graces of god in him caracciolus had no sooner left naples forsaking country and kindred for the sake of christ and his gospel than every possible effort was employed by his family and relatives and all that were concerned for the credit of the religion that he had abandoned to induce him to return on his refusing to do so sentence was passed against him and he was deprived of all the property which he inherited from his mother in the following year an offer was made to him in the name of his uncle now pope paul the fourth that he should have a protection against the inquisition provided he would take up his residence within the venetian states a proposal to which neither his safety nor the dictates of his conscience would permit him to accede he went repeatedly to italy and had interviews with his aged father but was refused the privilege of seeing his wife and family until about six years after he had quitted naples his wife victoria 
then wrote to him earnestly requesting an interview with him and fixing the place of meeting this she did on two different occasions but in both instances on his arrival at the appointed place after a fatiguing and dangerous journey he had the disappointment of finding that she did not make her appearance at length impatient of delay he went once more to italy and at his father's house had an interview with victoria when he entreated her to accompany him to geneva promising that no restraint should be laid on her conscience and that she should be at liberty to practise her religion under his roof after many protestations of affection she finally replied that she could not reside out of italy nor in a place where any other religion than that of the church of rome was professed and farther that she could not live with him as her husband so long as he was infected with heresy the scene at their final parting was peculiarly tender bursting into tears and embracing her husband vittoria besought him not to leave her a widow and her babes fatherless the children joined in the entreaties of their mother and the eldest daughter a fine girl of thirteen grasping his knees refused to part with him how he disengaged himself he knew not for the first thing which brought him to recollection was the noise made by the sailors on reaching the opposite shore of the gulf of venice he used often to relate to his intimate friends that the parting scene continued long to haunt his mind and that not only in dreams but also in reveries into which he fell during the day he thought he heard the angry voice of his father saw vittoria in tears and felt his daughter dragging at his heels caracciola spent the remainder of his days at geneva with the exception of five years spent by him at nyon and lausanne for the sake of economy in his living and continued steadfast in his attachment to the protestant faith he was on terms of intimate friendship with calvin which continued unbroken until the death of the reformer in fifteen sixty four thirteen years subsequent to the time when caracciolus went to reside at geneva one step taken by him during his exile must be regarded as to say the least of greatly questionable propriety that of contracting a second marriage about nine years after he went to reside at geneva calvin on being consulted by him as to the propriety of such a step felt great scruples as to the expediency of it but ultimately gave his approbation to it after he had consulted the divines of switzerland and the grison accordingly the courts of geneva having legally pronounced a sentence of divorce against vittoria on the ground of her obstinate refusal to live with her husband he married anne fremagere the widow of a french refugee from rouen with whom he continued to live happily 
in a state of dignified frugality he was held deservedly by the church of geneva and wherever he was known in the greatest esteem as one whose piety was of a very high order matthew henry in one part of his writings makes mention of a noble saying of the marquis of vico let their money perish with them who esteem all the wealth of this world worth one hour's communion with god in jesus christ and assuredly the devotedness manifested by him to the cause of christ affords ample evidence that the sentiment was deeply inwrought into his mind he died at geneva in fifteen eighty six in the sixty-eighth year of his age calvin's commentary on paul's epistles to the corinthians having in common with a large portion of his commentaries on other parts of the scriptures been translated by himself into french for the benefit of his countrymen the latin original and french version have been carefully collated and any additional terms or clauses that occur in the latter tending to bring out more fully the author's meaning will be found given at the bottom of the page calvin says pasquier biographia evangelica was a good writer both in latin and french and our french tongue is highly obliged to him for enriching it with so great a number of fine expressions d'aubigny when speaking of calvin's early education states that he made great progress in latin literature he became familiar with cicero and learned from this great master to employ the language of the romans with a facility purity and ease that excite the admiration even of his enemies but at the same time he found riches in this language which he afterwards transferred to his own calvin when called upon to discuss and to prove enriched his mother tongue with modes of connection and dependence with shadows transitions and dialectic forms that it did not as yet possess the old english translation of this part of calvin's commentaries having been published in black letter in fifteen seventy three about thirty years after the commentary itself was first published by calvin it is not to be wondered that it abounds with obsolete terms and phrases fitted to render it unpalatable to modern taste in addition to this the author's meaning has in not a few instances been manifestly misapprehended and in almost all cases calvin's critical observations are entirely omitted the translator mr thomas tim was the author of various works one of which more particularly quaintly entitled a silver bell appears to have gained much celebrity it has been thought proper to subjoin to this preface a facsimile of the title-page to this old english version with a copy of the epistle dedicatory to the archbishop of canterbury 
in preparing the present translation of this part of calvin's commentaries care has been taken to bring out as fully as possible the author's meaning while the reader will find in a variety of instances in the notes some additional light thrown on some important but difficult passages derived chiefly from the labors of interpreters that have appeared subsequently to the times of calvin the translator is fully persuaded that calvin's commentaries on both of paul's epistles to the corinthians will be found in so far at least as the author's meaning is properly brought out in the translation to justify most amply the confident expectation of the author himself as expressed in his first dedication to the commentary on the first epistle that it would furnish no ordinary assistance for thoroughly understanding paul's mind john pringle elgin october eighteen forty eight and of section one recording by lucretia b